Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm going to start a new series today on fatherhood. We're in the season, so I thought we would do this because of the significance of this institution. So uh, I've entitled this Biblical Fatherhood. And so it's important for us to um, understand the difference between uh, biblical fatherhood and per se secular fatherhood. There is some alarming differences nowadays. Uh, the definitions used to be a lot closer in um, generations gone by, uh, but today they're probably getting farther than they've ever been before. So uh, I'm going to talk about biblical fatherhood. Let me start with uh, some questions, right? Fatherhood. What is it exactly, right? And, and probably, probably a follow-up question is, does it even matter? You know, should we even be talking about this? Is it that relevant? We would venture to say that it is the bedrock of family, thus society itself. If fa fatherhood falters or is perverted, society will sink into, into depravity and ultimately fall into confusion, chaos, and widespread misery. So, that being true, how can we strengthen fatherhood? How can we cultivate and grow biblical fatherhood? So let's explore these essential questions related to safeguarding our families and societies. This is going to be part one in our series. We're going to do this probably for oh, at least three weeks, maybe four weeks, but I, I want to really cover this idea of fatherhood. I think it's very important. I think you think that too. So, so in the beginning, right? Let's go back to the beginning. Let's, let's see where fatherhood is rooted. And of course, we know it's rooted in the creator himself. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, it says, Then God said, Let us, and, and I believe that this is in reference primarily to the Godhead, to the triune nature of God, that God is one um, and exists eternally uh, in the person of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, but in the beginning, God said, let us make humans in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the domestic animals all over the earth, and all the animals that crawl on the earth. Verse 27. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. So let me just start by saying that biblically speaking, humans are binary and divided into two biological categories referred to as male and female. The hard science the hard science of biology states that males have XY chromosomes. They have sperm and produce more testosterone than females. And females have XX chromosomes. They have ova or eggs and produce more estrogen than males. These are the two biblical categories of sex and gender what biology would call males and females. So human sex and gender are binary from a biblical perspective, and the hard science uh, certainly validates that or vindicates that. Human sex and gender are binary, male and female, man and woman. 
Definition of a man is simply this, an adult male human. A woman is an adult female human. Now, there are exceptions to these categories, but I want to be very clear here that these are disorders of sexual development, um, such as intersex, where the sexual anatomy of a person is ambiguous or clearly conflicts with their chromosomal makeup. These biological disorders are very rare and are exceptions to the rule, which in no way undermines the biological binary categories of male and female in humanity. So back to the text. Verse 27, so God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fertile, increase in number, fill the earth and be its master. Rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and the animals that crawl on the earth. Now, let's just keep that slide up for a moment. <clears throat> and I do want to back the truck up a little bit. I want to say when it comes to intersex, um, the reason it's a disorder is because it's, it's a genetic, um, it, it's, not, it's not what the design of God had determined for us. We live in a broken, fallen world. And so everything is marred in nature itself. And so we have these uh, disorders that are, are painful and uh, need to be handled with great compassion and care. Even the Bible refers to these categories and passages that, that uh, deal with, per se, the eunuch. Um, that is that way from birth, referring to the person who doesn't have the capabilities per the design of God in terms of their sexuality. It says that in the age to come, uh, um, those that suffer these disorders will have names greater than those that don't. In other words, God's going to compensate for what happened in the fall. And so I want to be very, very clear here that we have uh, the two categories, of course, but for those that fit neither as a result of a disorder, uh, we are to have tremendous compassion for what they have to actually cope with in life, right? And to give them the same hope that all human beings have, that in Messiah, we are going to be restored. We are going to be remade and uh, everything's going to be okay. So uh, that is the gospel that applies to all of us in our brokenness. Okay, back to our text, verse 28. God said to them, what did he say? He says, God blessed them and said, be fertile, increase in number, fill the earth and be its master. Rule the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that crawl on the earth. The first thing we notice, it says, God blessed them. God created them, and then he stopped, and then he blessed them. The Hebrew word that we translate bless actually means to empower. When it said God blessed them, what it's saying is God infused into them the power to be who he made them to be. He blessed them. And what did he say? Go, be fruitful and multiply. So he gave them the power to do that. He created them within his, his design and then empowered them to actually procreate. And that is a very natural and yet supernatural experience, right? A man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And in that act of marriage, a child is born, you know, it's so fascinating. It's science, I love the heart sciences. 
I love the hard sciences. I don't care much at all about the soft science. I don't care much about psychology. I don't care much about uh, sociology or philosophy. Uh, it's just not, not my cup of tea. I, I want something that I can bank on, right? So I love the hard sciences. One of the things they've done in terms of biology and, and some of the uh, related disciplines is they've been able now to photograph the very nanosecond of, of um, conception. And what they've noted, everyone was shocked and surprised, what they noted is that at the very moment of conception, when the sperm breaks the membrane of the egg, when that happens, at that point, there is a flash of light. I mean, this is science, not, not theology. This is not theology. This is science. A burst of light. I'm telling you right now, Conception is not just a natural phenomenon, it's a supernatural phenomenon. It's the empowerment that God gave us of, of his life, that divine energy itself, to actually procreate, to create with him and by him. This is what he did when he blessed us. He empowered us to do what he called us to be and to do. He also gave them all they needed to govern the world, which he had created for them. Now, in procreating, the man would become a father and the woman a mother. Based on the Bible and the supporting science, a father would be a male whose sperm unites with an egg, producing an embryo. Another way to say it, a male whose impregnation of a female results in the birth of a child. You, you know, this is so basic. You know, 50 years ago, you just would not even have sermons like this. Today, we have to have them. What they're doing today the, the, in, in, the, in the idolatry of fertility, right? They're doing unbelievable things when it comes to cloning human beings, and they're, they're working hard at that. And now even being able to take just the cell of like your skin and then revert it back to a stem cell and then from that stem cell grow, grow it into an egg. In other words, in other words part, part of the hope um, is that they can actually produce children in ways never thought of before that are totally different than the design of God. You know, when God said, you know what? We've got to scramble their languages and divide them because I made them in my image. They're super smart. Humanity's made in the image and likeness of God. The capabilities we have, God said, whatever they think of, whatever they can think up, they're going to be able to do. So let's slow that down. And so we're back up to no good, right? And we're using uh, what God has given us, I, I believe, for the wrong purposes. And, and pretty soon... We're not going to be able to define anything. We will so have expanded and changed and flipped definitions. I don't even know how we're going to communicate. I mean, I don't know about you, but trying to communicate today by changing the grammar to, to, to accommodate all of the new definitions and expressions. I can't even speak English anymore. I, it's, it's, like, it's, like a whole, it's like a new language, right? It changes everything. Our structures, our language, our societies. So anyway, that's why I'm teaching on this. 
I want to teach on a biblical worldview, a biblical view of family and fatherhood and motherhood, because that is the basis of our societies. That's where the blessings are. And if we turn that and flip it and change it, it's going to create chaos, confusion, and misery. So, so that's why this is important. Okay, so um, let me expand this definition. Uh, again, I'm going to say a male whose sperm unites with an egg producing an embryo or a male whose impregnation of a female results in the birth of a child, that would qualify as your primary definition of father. Now, I want to I I expand that because the Bible does. Here's the expansion of that definition. Based on other texts in the Bible, fatherhood would include a man who adopts a child. Adoption would turn that man into a father. Not just a natural child, but an adopted child. Or a man who raises a child. Simply raising a child qualifies you as a father, biblically speaking. So for our teaching today, I want to clarify the biblical idea of a father of fatherhood as opposed to today's secular and unbiblical ideas. So biblically speaking, a father is a man who covenants with a woman to be her husband and co-creates a child with her. A man who covenants with a woman to be her husband and co-adopts a child or a man who covenants with a woman to be her husband and co-raises her child, okay? So you can be in a situation where you marry a woman. She has children already, and you come into that relationship as a husband, and you begin to participate with her in raising that child. That makes you a father even if you haven't adopted the child. It still qualifies you as your fathering in that context. Therefore, you're a father. So those are the expanded definitions that we have, uh, natural, adoption, and just through marriage, uh, raising, um, uh, your, helping co-raising your wife's child or children. So let's move to what do fathers do? What, what, what is it that fathers are called to do? And there's four basic areas, um, and we'll pick these up in weeks to come. But today I want to talk about the first one. They bless. Okay, they bless, they provide, they protect, and they discipline. Okay, those are the four things that fathers do, primarily, primarily. So let's talk about what it means to bless. Let's move back to our Heavenly Father. He, he, he is God, and there is no other. And it says that He is love. God is love. One of the, one of the first things we can do as fathers is we can really work on this love aspect. What does it mean to love as a father, right? We need to say, God, you're, you, you are love. And so me, as an earthly father, wanting to emulate you, teach me what it means to love. Because love has many, many definitions. And some of the definitions are counter to what the Bible defines as love. So, so as men, we have to say, what is love? And we have to look to the Father in heaven, see what he does in order to begin to emulate in our own homes what it means to be a loving father. First and foremost, love. Everything flows through love. That's the first thing we want to work on. What does it mean to love? 
And then love seeks to have children in order to bless them. Think of Adam and Eve. I want to go down a bunny trail here, but I'm not. But suffice it to say, God made someone in his image, Adam and Eve, right? So he could pour everything he has on them. The nature of love is to bless that which you've created. And I can tell you right now, uh, you know, I didn't know this till I had my own child and then had two girls. Uh, the sizzle of life is blessing them, loving them, just giving them stuff. Now, now we can really create some bad stuff through enablement if we're not careful. Uh, but the point is, is it's hard to say no to your kids. They just got your heart. It's the design of God. It's just the way it is. Uh, but yeah, so uh, God said, wow, what I just did is so amazing. You've got to experience it. He said, Adam and Eve, go do what I did because you've got to experience this. It's so amazing. And so he got them, of course, what? To procreate, have children, to sweep them up in this love affair of who God is. Amazing in every way. So our creator is, in a sense, the father of all. And our rebellion as a, a human race, our rebellion to his fatherhood has alienated us from him. It has brought heartache, delusion, and misery into our lives. But in his love for us, he sent his son to seek and to save us, to bring us back home to him. I want to move to the adoption paradigm. God has adopted through covenant people to be his children. His first child, the first child that God adopted, Israel. Exodus 4, 21 through 23. The Lord said to Moses, when you get back to Egypt, see that you show Pharaoh all the amazing things that I've given you, uh, you the power to do. But I will make him stubborn so that he will not let the people go. Verses 22 through 23. Then tell Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you to let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So now I'm going to kill your firstborn son. My dad's bigger than your dad. It's kind of the short and skinny. See, fathers love their kids. Fathers protect their kids. Fathers have a plan to bless their kids. And God adopted Israel as his firstborn son. And he seeks to free Israel and bless Israel because he's a good father. Romans 9, 1 through 5, as a Christian, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. The Holy Spirit, along with my own thoughts, supports me in this. I have deep sorrows and endless heartache. I wish I could be condemned and cut off from Christ for the sake of others who, like me, are Jewish by birth. Verse 4, speaking of the Jewish people, they are Israelites, God's adopted children. I want you to think about that. Israel's, Israel's my firstborn son. Paul frames it a little bit differently. He says the Israelites, the Jewish people, are God's adopted children. They have the Lord's glory, the pledges, Moses' teaching, the true worship, and the promises. So let's look at this adoption. When did that take place? When did God adopt Israel as his people? We're going to look through the lens of Ezekiel because uh, we see this adoption in, in a number of different parables or stories but I, re I really like what we have in Ezekiel. So I'm going to pick that up in chapter 16, 1 through 14. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. Now, I want you to note the pity and compassion of God. It moved him, it moved him to adopt this orphan, which he found wandering aimlessly in the desert. This is the nature of God. He is a compassionate father, and he adopts this orphan to give the orphan blessing and a place in his world. Verse 6, when I passed by you, I saw you squirming in your blood. This is the birth. the, The birth of Israel is described through the metaphor of a natural birth. When I passed by you, I saw you squirming in your blood. I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. How many people saw the old movie um, Camelot with Harris, that version? Remember who's the star of Camelot, the hero? I'm sorry? Sir Lancelot. Sir Lancelot, he's out there. No one can take him down because his anointing was died into his purity. And that's why he fell because he lost that. But while he was in his purity, oh my gosh, no one could take him. And he was jousting and he won the day and he jousted the king of jousting. And, but it, it, blew, it, 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 it killed him is what it did. It killed him. And Sir Lancelot, you know, because this was a sport not intended to kill anyone, He is so broken and everyone is standing there and he's dead and he's holding this guy in his arms on the ground and he's just sweating from the, from the, uh, all the activity and stuff. And now he's weeping and trembling and he's just saying to him over and over and over, live, live. And people are like, oh gosh, go get Lancelot, man. You know, this is a bad deal. But he speaks so forcefully and so prophetically, live, live. All of a sudden, the guy takes a deep breath and comes back to life, and no one can believe it, you know, just amazing in every way. But when I think of this passage of seeing Israel, right, and God saying, live, live, I'm thinking power and life. Our, our life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue that God created all things seen and unseen through the power of his word. He calls things that are not as though they are, and they come into being. And he says to Israel, who was destined for death, still, still the umbilical cord, the placenta, discarded to die. I mean, how long would it take for a natural baby in those elements to die? Not very long. God says, live, live. And of course, that's the beginning of his relationship with Israel. So, when I passed by you and saw you, behold, I'm sorry. Yes, verse 7, thank you. goes on to say, I made you numerous like the plants of the field. Then you grew up 
became tall and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Verse 8 of chapter 16. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord. Israel becomes a daughter through covenant. The fatherhood of God is via covenant, and it's the same with us. When we repent and put our faith in Jesus, we move from lost orphans to the status of children of God, and the blessings begin. Keep in mind, though, that covenant precedes fatherhood. It's through a covenant that he then adopts Israel, and he becomes a father to Israel through covenant. In marriage, we have the potential to have natural children, and marriage is a covenant. We have the potential to have natural children, adopt children, raise children. And all of this is done in the context of covenant, or what we call today a biblical marriage. We have children, natural or adopted, in order to what? Bless them, raise them, release them into this world, empowering them to be successful. So verses 9 through the rest of the chapter we'll pick up next week because I'm running out of time. But it talks about the provision that then God gives. The provision. I'm just going to read it. Who cares? Then I bathed you in water. I washed off your blood from you, anointed you with oil. I also clothed you in embroidered, uh, with embroidered cloth and put sandals of purpose uh, skin on your feet and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you, were or, or, thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. See the provision here? Clothing, shelter, food. It's just so beautiful. So you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Royalty, because God's a king. In Jesus, we, we're not just the children of God. We're the children of the king. You are royalty. You in Jesus, you're royalty. It doesn't matter what your circumstances. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter your baggage or consequences of, of bad choices in the past. You are royalty. Hold your head up. Look for the blessing. Hallelujah. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. So next week we'll talk more about provision, but suffice it to say today, fatherhood begins in covenanting, covenanting to have children naturally or via adoption. The purpose, to love and bless them, to empower them. This starts with the things we say to them and about them. Be careful, fathers, what you say to your children. Make sure you're blessing them, empowering them, speaking of their potential and not diminishing them. The power of death and life are in the tongue. Be careful. 
we will either propel them into success and happiness or slow them down, bringing them into failure. We have a tremendous obligation as parents, especially fathers, to speak life into our children. That's where the blessing begins. So fathers, let's continue to build strong marriages. You're doing really good jobs. Let's take it up a notch. Let's continue the path. Let's build strong marriages. And let's build strong home environments. God doesn't call us to be perfect. He just calls us to keep our eyes on him and moving the ball forward. You're not alone in your struggles to be good fathers. God is with you. Your church is with you. Other fathers are with you. Together, as fathers, right? Together, we're a band of fathers committed to each other's success as fathers. I'm a father, but I love your fatherhood, and I want to bless your kids too. Your kids are important too, not just mine. We're going to watch over our homes and each other's homes because that's what fathers do. And when we band together, watch out. The blessings are going to roll. Praise God. Happy Father's Day to all the men here and abroad in Jesus' name. Shabbat Shalom.